Let me go ahead and open us uh, this time anyway in prayer. Father, we do, uh, oh, we do thank you again just for this time and this place that you've granted us to gather together, um, primarily to hear you speak to us through your word. And so we pray this morning that you would you would do that, that you would continue to speak to us through your word, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would continue to, to illuminate, to make sense of uh, your word to us, um, that we might understand it um, with the purpose of applying it um, to our lives. We pray, God, that as we do this above all and else, um, you would be, be glorified. I mean, we... We do desire, Father, to, to be changed. We, we, we want to see, I want to see, but we want to see um, your sanctifying work continue in our lives. We want to love you more. We want to know you more. We want our lives to reflect that more. Um, but even, even greater than that, we desire for you to be glorified, um, for your name to be exalted and magnified. And so above all else, we pray for that this morning. Pray, God, that you would continue your, your work of salvation. Um, God, that you would you would save the lost among us, Lord. We pray that you would you would um, bring the lost across our paths, um, uh, within this church and even without within our lives, Father. That we would have opportunity to um, proclaim your glorious gospel to them, that you might save them. Again, Jesus, we love you and we praise you, and we ask these things in your name, ultimately for your sake. Amen. We're going to continue our study this morning in Acts, and we're going to continue really with um, Luke's prologue, which is the, the first 11, um, 11, chapter, 11 chapters, no, first 11 verses. Last week, we, as an introduction to Acts, if you weren't here, we kind of went through a, an introduction of Acts, which was more just like a lecture than a sermon, and um, we do or will have that up on the website, so if you weren't here last week and you want to kind of get that overview, you can get on our website and, and, and listen, uh, listen to that and kind of get some background um, background information. And so uh, we, we looked at, uh, just briefly looked at verses 1 through 5 last week of chapter 1 as we, as we introed it. And today we're going to be picking up and looking at verses 6 through 11, dealing with uh, the ascension. And what I want to do before I actually read um, verses 6 through 11 and, and to consider those verses, I want to read for, uh, um, from the synoptic gospels um, for you. Uh, synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptics, uh, you know, same, similar, right? And in those three gospels uh, accounts that I'm going to read, it's just kind of the, the very end, um, the ascension narrative or Christ's last moments with them, um, just to kind of give you a greater context of, of what we're about to read in, in Acts. Um, not exactly um, the same as Acts, but again, just to give us a broader picture, I'm not going to really comment on those as I, as I read those passages. But again, I hope it just opens our minds to a little bit broader picture of, of the last moments of, of Christ on earth as we go into um, Luke's uh, a narrative, if you will, and Acts concerning the ascension. So I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to go from or 28, sorry. I'm going to go Matthew chapter 28 to Mark 16 to Luke 24. I know I, I ran through that pretty quick. I'll tell you one more time, and then I'm just going to go there as I read. So we're going to look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'm going to read Mark 16, uh, 14 through 20, and then Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through, through 53. If you want to follow along, you can. If not, I'll just read it. Like I said, I'm not really going to comment. I'm going to read those, and then we're going to jump over to Acts chapter 1, and we'll begin with, with Luke's uh, uh, narrative of, of the ascension in Acts uh, 1. So Matthew 28, verse 16 um, through uh, uh, the end, 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which uh, Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, 
but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now flipping over real quick to Mark sixteen fourteen through 20. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table and rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Luke 24 44 through 53. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Now let's turn to our text for this morning, um, which is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, they referring to his, his apostles, uh, I suspect some of the first disciples were still there, um, those to whom he appeared after his, his resurrection, which we know wasn't everyone. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. If you're, if you're following along in your outline in, in verse 6, um, uh, really verse 6 and, and 7, uh, I have the first point on the outline. It's, it's the presentiment, which means anticipation or expectation. The presentiment of the kingdom. Now, I, I, find, I find their question um, of Christ here in verse 6 uh, 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 and 7 rather, rather striking, rather, rather odd. Jesus didn't come to be this William Wallace, William Wallace, Braveheart, right? You know, if, if you've seen the movie. Jesus didn't come to be this, this William Wallace type of Messiah who starts a, a political revolution to overthrow the Roman government and restore Israel to her former glory. Right? But this was what Israel was primarily looking for in their Messiah. In their thinking, right? We're talking about national Israel here. In their thinking... Uh, they didn't need a, a spiritual savior, but they needed a political savior, right? This, this in part, is why um, Herod felt threatened, right? The Jews were expecting a political savior. And, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod, heard, uh, uh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And he was troubled because he thought there was another king that was going to come and, and overthrow him politically, right, then and there. Um, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Right? Peter in Matthew 16, so if you want to turn there real quick, Matthew 16, in his expectation that Christ was coming to set up a, a political kingdom here and now, in fact, attempted to, to rebuke Jesus. So we see in Matthew 16, verse, um, uh, verses 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Again, Peter's thinking, right, that you're coming to reign and rule here and now and to set up this earthly kingdom. So he begins this rebuke of Jesus, and Jesus turns to him and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, right? Jesus came to establish his spiritual kingdom, right? Jesus says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man, which was this desire in part for this here and, and now political kingdom, right? And so Jesus, throughout his ministry, 
um, through his actions and through his words, made it clear that, that he, he didn't come um, to establish a, a political kingdom, if, if you will, and, and to politically save. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom, right, to be a savior um, spiritually. And so, so it's in that that I find this, this question initially, right, um, and part of my, my finding it odd is, is, is out of ignorance, but I find it kind of odd. I'm like, so, so after all of this, has Christ not demonstrated to them that, that he came to establish this, this spiritual kingdom and not this political kingdom, at least not, not now, not, not yet, right? Um, now, now, this question, kind of digging in the word, uh, this question in part was motivated by the promise of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and, and a connection between the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, a connection between that and the restoration of, of Israel. We see these connections that most likely the, the apostles at the time were making when Christ promised the Holy Spirit. We see this coming from the Old Testament. So let's look at Ezekiel 39 um, first. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 28 and 29. So uh, Ezekiel 39, uh, starting um, verse 28. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore, and I will not hide my face anymore from them. Here we go. When I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord. Okay, so, so there's kind of this promise, right, that's connecting the restoration of Israel with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We see it again in Joel. Let's look at Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse, um, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 1. Joel 2, uh, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and, and Jerusalem. So again, right, the apostles having this, this connection in their mind, right? Pouring out of the Spirit, restoration of Israel. So Jesus says, just prior to the ascension, he says, I'm going to very soon, right, pour out my Spirit upon you. So these guys, they hear that and they're thinking, restoration, right, restoration of Israel. Now, Jesus' response, let's go back to Acts. I find, so I find initially their question odd, but once I, I, I make the connection between the Old Testament promises, I say, okay, I can see where they, they got that question, right? Pouring out of the Spirit, restoration of Israel. So maybe not as odd as I originally thought. But I find Jesus' um, response um, rather, I'll say, informative. 
So Acts uh, 1, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So when Jesus, Jesus corrects, he corrects their timing, right? He says it's not now, essentially, right? It's not for you to know the timing, right? This is God's timing. Yes, I'm pouring out my spirit. The kingdom will be restored, but, but it's not for you to know the timing. So he corrects their timing, but not their expectation. Now, I, I do find this interesting, and I feel that it adds support for a literal restoration of Israel with Christ as, as ruler and king. Not, not, and I'm not going down the rabbit trail of, of eschatology right now when it comes to that. But I do find it rather interesting that, that, that Jesus, though he corrects their timing, does not correct their expectation. They expected right, a time when Christ would literally, physically, visibly restore and reign over Israel. And if that weren't so, we would expect him to have corrected that. And yet he doesn't. He just says the timing of that is, is, is really no business of yours. The Father has, the Father has said that. Now, Jesus, and this we know, and we kind of touched on last week. Jesus came as spiritual, right, Savior, Messiah, right, and reigns and rules now in the lives of believers who are, in a way, a realized or, or spiritual Israel. And yet, like his apostles... I do personally have an expectation that he will one day restore Israel. Now, I, I view this, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not going to go down this rabbit trail today, right? But I do view this from a quasi-historic, premillennial view of eschatology and end times, okay? When he does this, and here's the thing. When he does this, it's, it's not about Israel or about us, but it's about him, him setting things right okay um again not going down the the rabbit trail of, of end times okay it's in the text so i do want to mention it briefly but i also want to mention that i know some of us vary on our our views concerning this and, and that's okay um pole hill um uh, uh, author of a commentary that i have concerning this he says Neither did Jesus reject the concept of the restoration of Israel. Instead, he politicized it. And this is the key, okay? This is the key to what, what, what's going on in these verses. He depoliticized it with a call to worldwide missions. See, Jesus, he redirected their attention from their focus on his coming earthly kinging. So uh, kingdom. So we'll just say second coming in times, uh, specifically for us, right? Um, he makes this promise, right? And immediately they're they're focused on his his kingdom, his his coming earthly, uh, a physical visible kingdom, 
right? Now, now they didn't have the full revelation that we have now. So, so that would be like us, like fixated or focused on uh, the second coming of Christ or the return of Christ or the consummation of the ages, right? Um, the end of all time, regardless of where you, you, you fit on the, the eschatological structure, okay? Um, what he did was he, he took their attention off of the coming kingdom in part, right? And, and refocused it on the growth and expansion of his here and now spiritual kingdom. See, I, I think there are many in Christendom today who could learn from this. There's, there's a preacher that I, I actually I like. I'm not going to name his name. Um, and, and I think he's, he's, he's uh, orthodox and evangelical, okay? Um, and, and yet he tends to, and maybe it's just the Christian radio stations that play him, but it seems like every sermon he preaches, it's, it's, on, it's on like end times. And it drives me absolutely batty. Okay, and, and, and I'm thinking he could he could learn he could learn from this. Right. The 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 apostles were fixated at this point on the end times. Right. The, 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 the coming kingdom. Right. And so what did Jesus do? He, he took their attention off of that. Right. And focused it on the here and the now, the mission at at hand. Right. And so as as Christians. Right. We need to be guarded and we need to be careful and, and we, need to do, we need to do the same thing, not get caught up into these times and dates and happenings that only God has ordered and has, has fixed, right? But we need our minds and our hearts focused, right, on the kingdom that is, that is here and now. And that's, that's the spiritual kingdom, right? The building up, if you will, of, of the, the, the realized or spiritual um, is real. Now, uh, back into Acts, uh, uh, let's look at verse 8. And this is where we see him going from their attention on the coming kingdom to their focus on world missions. It says in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Again, this is Christ's redirect, okay? His redirect from his earthly kingdom. For us, it would be his second coming, right? Or the end of the age, wherever we fit on this end times thing, okay? To the mission at, at hand. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. All right, now listen, the Holy Spirit, okay, um, he, he was at work. I mean, the Holy Spirit wasn't like invented, okay, um, uh, on the day of Pentecost. I mean, the Holy Spirit has, has always been at, at work, right? I mean, the, the Holy Spirit is, is, is God and has always been God and will always be God, right? Um, and, and, and as a part of the, the triune God has had his hand in everything from creation past and creation forward, okay? Um, but, but he's not always been at work in the indwelling of, we'll say, the saints, right? So, so New Testament saints from Pentecost forward, we have this, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives, right? That's, that's not just simply normative. That's a fact, Jack. I mean, that's just the, the way it is, right? Um, 
prior prior to that, right, the Holy Spirit did work and move and, and did so in the lives of, of the saints, um, didn't indwell them like he does believers now, and, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't normative, okay? And, and we're actually, um, and I know that we looked last week just briefly in the introduction, the promise of the Holy Spirit, we've got the promise of the Holy Spirit here, um, and, and we're going we're gonna to tackle all of this um, in several weeks coming up. So I'm not, I'm not ignoring the Holy Spirit, okay? So don't, don't, don't think I am. But as we, as we approach here in the text, um, at chapter 2, as we get into the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost, we're probably going to spend at least one, two, or maybe multiple sermons. We're not even really hard in the text, but we're just, just looking at the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit in general. All right, what is what is what is his role? What is what is his ministry? What does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit and or baptized by the Holy Spirit? Right? How does he relate uh, um, and work within the the Godhead? Okay, so we we are going to get to that. So don't think I'm overlooking that today or in the weeks to come. But but we will we will get um, we will get to that here soon. Um, but back in back in Acts um, Acts one eight here, uh, Jesus says, listen. Okay. When I pour my Holy Spirit upon you, okay, he says, you will then be empowered to do that which you're commanded to do. You'll be empowered to do that which I am sending you out to do. Again, one of the reasons that I wanted to read those other uh, 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 accounts of uh, the, the last moments of Christ in the Synoptic Gospels there was because they included the Great Commission, right? So in the Great Commission, he gives, us the, he gives them this command, go, go ye therefore, right? Go ye therefore and evangelize, right? And disciple and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and, go and do these things things, right? I, I said last week that Acts, in part, is the telling of the tale of the, um, the apostles and the first disciples in the early church being obedient and going ye therefore. And, and here in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, but I got to basically give you my Holy Spirit first to empower you to go. So when I give him to you, you will now be empowered to do that which I've commanded you to do. And in fact, he says, you will be my witnesses. So it's not just that I am commanding you to do this, but you're going to do this. You don't have a choice. Now, in Acts, um, the apostles and disciples, right, um, they didn't do what they did, as we go through Acts over the next several years, right? They didn't do what they did in and by their own power, okay? They, they did what they did in and through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now this, this applies to us, right? Um, true Christians, right? Um, true, true Christian work, all right, is only done in, by, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. All other, all other work is just man's work, right? And, and, and man's work is not God-honoring work. Now, now, we can show up as believers, and, 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 and we can do. And on the outside, it might look like, 
hey, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But, but if we're doing it in and of our own power, it's not that which honors God and glorifies God. When we do what we're commanded to do, right, we need to be seeking to do it. And in fact, doing it in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two examples, okay, here in Acts where we see that, and they're extreme examples, okay, um, not normative for today by any stretch of the imagination, but they're two examples of where we're going to see um, apostles, specifically Paul, doing something um, only in and through the power of, of Christ and, and his Holy Spirit, and then we see a group of, of seven other individuals that are attempting to do the same thing in and through their own power, okay, and, and now the outcome is, is drastically different from the ones working in and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the ones working in and through their own power. Let's look at um, Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, um, verses 17 through 18, we have uh, the casting out. I say Paul casting out of a demon, but it wasn't Paul casting out the demon because Paul couldn't cast out a demon, but it was Paul casting out a demon. So let's look at this real quick in Acts, uh, again, 16, 16, 17, 18. Um, Okay, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read 16, uh, verse 16 through 18. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this, kept, uh, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. It came out that very hour. Now, again, understand, it wasn't Paul, right, that cast out this, this demon, Right? It was, it was the Holy Spirit working in and working through Paul that, that cast out this demon, right? Um, from a biblical perspective that I'm aware of, right, um, man, okay, we, we don't have power to, to do that. Okay, and so I, I always kind of laugh when I hear like on the news about these Catholic priests that go and like cast out demons. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. But at least from a biblical perspective, right, it's only Christ, it's only the Holy Spirit working in and through his believers that can do this. Again, I don't think that's normative for today, so I'm not going to get into that, but I don't think it is. But, but, but at least from a biblical testimony, that's the way it's, it, it's only done and can be done. And so what's going on out there is, is, not, is not this, okay? Um, we have another example here in, in Acts, though, where a group of individuals attempt to do the same thing, but, but to do it in their own power. Um, let's look at Acts chapter 19, 19 verses 11 through 16, uh, uh, dealing with the seven so- sons of, of Sceva, right? Um, and I'm not, just by, because I'm, I'm using them as an example, I'm not saying that here, here we have these believers trying to do it in their own power because I don't believe or know that they were even in fact believers, okay? I'm just, I'm just this is an example of men trying to do things um, in their own power, regardless of whether or not they invoke the name of Christ. So, uh, so understand that as well, all right? 
um, while you're turning there in Acts 19:11, just because you you invoke the name of Christ um, or the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that that what you're doing is God honoring, and and doesn't mean um, doesn't mean that it'll be done in and through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. You know, I I it's one of these things where you know, um, when we pray, um, and we pray in Jesus' name, I, I, I think we, I think we, most often rightfully do so, right? And and yet sometimes I I I just I roll my eyes, uh, figuratively speaking, okay, um, when I hear some people pray and their prayers and they pray in Jesus' name. You know, the prayer might be completely unbiblical, right? And then they they seal the deal because it's in Jesus's it's in Jesus's name. So we got it. We we put that special tagline on there, right? That that we got the formula, you know. And I'm just like, I just, it just it 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 makes me roll my eyes because I'm like, you know what? Just because you say something in Jesus's name doesn't doesn't make it so, okay? Um, just because you try to cast out a demon in Jesus's name doesn't mean that. It's the Holy Spirit working in you and or through you, okay? Um, and we see that in Acts again, 19.11. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So who was doing the miracles? God was doing the miracles. Was Paul doing the miracles? Paul was, you know what Paul was? Brother Don is, 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 is a woodworker, and he makes some beautiful stuff. Those tools don't make beautiful stuff, Right? The, the craftsman makes beautiful stuff, all right? I, I could use those same tools and, and make not quite so beautiful stuff. They, they might, might be functional stuff, okay, but not quite so, so beautiful stuff. Randy's an artist, right? He can take certain colors and put them together, and it's like, wow, I would take those same colors, put them together, and it look like vomit, okay? So, so it's not the colors, right? It's not the tools. Right, it's it's the one who holds the colors and holds the tools. It wasn't Paul doing the miracles. Any 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 account in Scripture, right? When we have have men performing miracles, right? It wasn't the men performing miracles, right? It wasn't Moses who parted the Red Sea? Moses didn't part the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. He just happened to use his tool, his instrument, Moses, to part the Red Sea, right? God. God did miracles through Paul. Paul didn't do miracles. So, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord over those. Okay, so real, real quick. Um, I find it funny. So we have these itinerant Jewish exorcists, right, seeking to invoke the name of the Lord over those who had evil spirits, right? So, so the reality is this, and this is why I made my comment about the Catholic priests moments ago. These Jewish exorcists weren't they? They weren't performing exorcists. They, it wasn't working because if it was, why would they have all of a sudden said, "Hey, we need to invoke the name of Jesus in what we're doing." Their, their stuff was smoke and mirrors, hocus pocus. They were charlatans. And then they see the real stuff going on with these, these, these Jesus followers. And they're like, hey, 
Let's, let's, let's follow their incantations, okay? So they sought to, under, uh, to invoke the name of the Lord uh, Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaimed. They don't even know this Jesus. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaimed. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva uh, were doing this. But the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know. And Paul, I recognize. I mean, because Paul was just the instrument, right? So it's like, I, 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 I recognize the tool, right? Jesus I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered them all, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them. And the name of the Lord was extolled. Listen, those examples, we have, we have one group of individuals, right, who are doing what they're doing, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't them doing it again. It was the Holy Spirit working in and through them. We had another group of individuals, regardless of the fact if the one group wasn't believers. We had, we had another group of individuals, right, seeking to do in and of their own strength, and it was utter failure. And, and so it will be for us. Right? If, 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 we, if we do, when, when we do, in and through our own power, it will be failure every time. Even if it looks good, even if outwardly we're gaining the results that we seek to gain, it's it's still failure. It's like talking about evangelism, right? What what what's what is successful evangelism? It's obedient evangelism. That's it. You want to define success in ministry? It's obedient ministry. Outwardly, it might look like complete and total failure, right? But if it's being done in and through the power of the Holy Spirit and it's being done in and through obedience, even though it doesn't look good from the outside, it's successful. There's a lot of ministries out there that we can look at and from, from an outside, most worldly standard of success perspective. Dude, they've, they've got it nailed. They, they, they must have God's blessing. People are coming. Building's getting bigger. Lives are... At least they're saying lives are being changed. By change, I don't know what they mean, but, but they're saying it, right? Um, and then look at that small church down the road. They've had 50 people for the last six years. They, they, they're, they're, they're not doing something right. No. We define success, right? Um, not by results, but by obedience. And, and, and that's in our Christian doing. So we do in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in and through our own power. I said last week, um, and, and, I, and I think this, this points to this even more, talk about the title of Acts, right? I mean, it's not Acts, right? It's, it's, it's the long title is the Acts of the Apostles, right? But, but um, I said, well, it really should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't it? Because that's what we're going to see as we go through Acts. We see the Holy Spirit working in and through the church, Him doing not not them not paul not not peter not stephen 
Now, wasn't I mean, what a great testimony. I can't wait till we get there. Oh, I just, it, I, even just thinking about Stephen's testimony now, it just, I don't know, it, 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 it brings emotion over me, right? Um, but Stephen doesn't get the credit for that. That was the Holy Spirit working in him and, and through him, the acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, okay, so he says, go back to uh, 1.8 here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, right? Again, will be. You're, you're, you're doing it. It's, it's a done deal. It's, it's a command, but it's a promise. You're going to be my witnesses, right? So it's both. Um, witnesses, this is, this is, this is great. Um, again, this is primarily why they would receive power from the Holy Spirit, to be witnesses. You're going to receive my Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. When Jesus left, he left his witnesses in his place, right? And those witnesses began with the 12, the first disciples, the first century church, and the second century church, all the way up to now, to the 21st century church. We are his witnesses today. Now, we didn't see him like the 12 saw him or the 500 saw him after his, his resurrection, not, not physically, right? But we are, as believers, indwelt by his Holy Spirit, nonetheless, his, his witnesses today. Now, a couple little tidbits here. Actually, I'll give you a tidbit first, and then we're going to look at something that, that's kind of a point of application. Um, the Greek word for witness uh, used here is martos. Okay, um, now now this is the word that we get um, martyr from, all right? So if you, if you go to Strong's uh, uh, Greek Concordance and you look up this word, you see martus, okay? Um, and it talks about witnesses, like one who testify, one who, you know, who was there, who saw, who was impacted, who whatever, who testifies to this thing or to that thing or whatnot, right? So in that regards, it made them witnesses. It makes us witnesses today, right? But, but the reason that the word martyr actually comes from martus is because throughout history, Starting, starting with Stephen, right? Um, really, we could go back to the Old Testament, but, but now we're dealing with Hebrew, so we're just going to stick with the New Testament because we're dealing with Greek, right? Um, throughout history, there has been a strong connection between Christ's witnesses, right? We're being a witness for Christ and dying for Christ. So this is, this is why we get the word martyr, from witness. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. It's rather ironic that that, that word later be, became martyr. And most of those early witnesses became what? Martyrs as well. And even today, right, throughout the world, many of Christ's witnesses are becoming martyrs as well. So all true Christians are, are Christ's witnesses, right? Um, so, so the question that, that, we're, that we're not faced with is, is, am I Christ's witness? You are. That's it. If you're a true believer, you're, 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 you're a witness. Period. There's no denying it. You can't argue with it. That's, that's a reality. But the question is, um, what, what kind of witness are you? What kind of witness, what kind of witness am I? Okay. Move on to verse 8. Um, no, sorry, not verse 8. No, we're not going to move on to verse 8. Um, 
had another point that I almost skipped over, which is very important. Um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. All right. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Verse 8. That looks like in bold, and I almost skipped over it. Verse 8 is highlight it. Underline it. Do whatever. Don't forget it. Verse 8 is the theme verse as well as the outline for the entire book of Acts. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He promises that they're going to receive power to be witnesses as a result of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And then they're going to go out, starting in Jerusalem, on this mission, right? The redirect from from the coming kingdom to world missions. They're going to start in Jerusalem, then they're going to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? And so what do we see in Acts? Starting in chapter 2. We see the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, just as Christ promised, right? We see the Christian testimony beginning in Jerusalem, right? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we see it, what? Stephen's martyred. Stephen's martyred. What happens to the church in Jerusalem? It scatters. Where does it scatter? Into Judea and Samaria, right? Then we see this character that once was named Saul, right? Who, who becomes Paul, comes on the scene, right? And then we start to see the witness spread beyond Judea and Sumeria and eventually to Rome. Listen, Rome, okay, Rome was the world power, right? Um, uh, 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 Rome, Rome, Rome was the end of the earth. If, if the gospel made it to Rome in force, then the gospel made it to the entire world. Because Rome, Rome was the, the launching point of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this in part, you know, I said last week we were talking about um, Acts and, and where it ended, right? So it ends like 62-ish A.D. Paul makes it to Rome, and then it ends. And we're talking about the dating, okay? See, so here's why I think that, that the book of Acts ends abruptly um, where it does, right? So verse 1-8, theme verse. Luke recounts this, and he says, listen, here's what's going to happen. Holy Spirit's going to come. The gospel's going to go out, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, ends of the earth. What do we see? The end of Acts. The gospel makes it to Rome. It's like mission complete. Purpose of my writing, in part, is complete. And so I, I think, in part, that's why, that's why Acts ends abruptly and ends where it did. Because it was fulfilled. The promise that Christ made in 1.8, we see its completion, in part, right? We see its completion when the gospel makes it to Rome. All right, so real quick, here's your outline, right? Um, we see the Holy Spirit, right? Chapter 2, right? So we've got the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. And really in verses 1 through 7, we're dealing with Jerusalem. So he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So verses 1 through 7, Jerusalem. Or chapters, sorry, 1 through 7, Jerusalem. And chapters 1 through uh, 8 through 12 of Acts, we're going to be uh, dealing with Judea. All right, and Samaria. So in chapters 8 through 12, we see the gospel then going from Jerusalem out into Judea and Samaria. And um, in chapters 13 through 28, we see the gospel going out beyond then Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, which is going to be idealized by its arrival in Rome in the very end of chapter 28. So again, we, we have an outline of, of, of the entire book. 
in one eight. So it's very important. So that's why I haven't hi hi highlighted, right? I haven't highlighted in my, it's not well, my iPad, but it's, it's highlighted, okay? And I haven't highlighted in my umpteen Bibles at home, right? Very important verse. Okay. Final point: the promise of um, return. Verses nine through eleven, and, and actually really short here. Just a, a narrative, um, though it's three verses. Um, uh, it's easy to tackle and sum up. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. So first, listen, we've got this, we've got this promise that Jesus is going to return in the same way that he went, all right? Um, let's see. Uh, he, he left um, uh, visibly, right? Um, he left physically, okay? And, and he left, well, going up into the sky, right? Literally. I mean, it was, it was a literal, it, it was literal, okay? So when he returns... He's going to return literally, right? not, not uh, as some would contend that he returned spiritually after 70 AD and that was the second coming of Christ. No, he's going to literally return just as he literally went. And when he returns, right, regardless of where we, we sit on this eschatological spectrum, when he returns, he's going to return visibly. He's going to return Physically, and this this is a promise. This is a guarantee. The angels said it. God said it. I believe it. That's it, right? Doesn't matter if I believe it. God said it, right? That's it. Okay. Um, but Jesus is Jesus is coming back. That's that's the reality from this verse. Is Jesus is coming back. But the angels, right? They really rebuked these these um, these, these folks that were there, right? Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sum up. I'm gonna sum up in just a couple. Words actually a couple's too, so it's it's several words. I'm gonna I'm gonna sum up in several words what the angels said to the the apostles, disciples, those those who were there when they saw Jesus lifted up into the sky. Okay. They said this. They said it's time to get busy because he's coming back. That's what they said. It's time to get busy because he's coming back. He just made you a promise. He just outlined your mission. It's time to get busy because Christ is returning. So how do we apply this, right? Listen, anticipation is good, right? Um, it, it, it is. The, 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 they, were and, and they were anticipating his kingdom, right? Their timing was off. Their expectation and their anticipation w was good. They were, they were staring at the sky, Right, I suspect in part, even though the angels hadn't showed up, anticipating the time that they would see him again, not knowing how it would be. Right, um, anticipation is good for us. Anticipation, anticipating Christ's return, anticipating the end of the age, anticipating the moment that He sets all things right. That's good, but it's not something for us to be fixated upon. Because we have work to do. Listen. Empowered, and here's the application. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
the key, right? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's time to get busy. He's given us a mission, and he's coming back. That's, that's what we do. I know it's a historical narrative, right? But, but we've got work to do, right? So let's get, let's get busy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for your word and, and what, you, um, what you do with it, um, what it is. Again, it's, it's your self-revelation. And we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word in your word and, and your truths to us. Lord, I, I thank you for this text this morning that we were able to examine and really what, what it does. I mean, it's, it's exciting from a historical perspective to, to study this, to read this, to know this. Um, but Lord, this, this, this does apply to us as well. Um, I realize the Bible is not, not about us, it's about you. And yet, in, in this very text, we have some, some specific application, um, some specific realities to face. And, and it is that you are coming back, and we know you are at, at any time, at any moment, that you are coming back. And until that day, until, and really until you either call us home or until you return, that we've got work to do. We better get busy. So, Lord, I pray that you would, you would use your Holy Spirit that, 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 that lives and dwells within us to continue your work, that we as, as your church would be, would be faithful in um, proclaiming the gospel to the lost world around us, that we would be faithful in seeing that, that the gospel continues to expand throughout this community and the state and this country and this continent and throughout this world. And, and we know there are many ways that we, we participate in that and can participate in that. So we pray for opportunity. We pray for ability. Um, we pray for conviction when we either, one, sit idly by, or two, seek to do it in our own power. That, one, we wouldn't remain idle and that we would... We would only do it in and through the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. Again, Lord, we love you and, and we praise you. And we thank you for all you've done. We thank you for all you're doing and for all that we, uh, you, you will do. Jesus, we, we pray these things in your name, one, because we have an ultimate desire to, to see you glorified, to, to, to see your name become famous throughout the world, that you would receive the greatest glory. Amen.